This morning's reading of God's word comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-12. through 12. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, normally, we dismiss our children at this point. We're not quite yet, uh, the little ones that go to, to children's worship. Uh, and you may not understand why we do things in the order we do on Sunday mornings. You'll notice we don't dismiss our children until after the scriptures are read. Why is that? First of all, we want our kids to know that we really value the Bible. But also, we believe that when the Bible is read, God shows up. He says, my word doesn't come back void. So we want our kids to be in here to be Uh, audience to the Word of God, and we want them to be audience to the Word of God in our homes as well. Um, But the question is this, do you know the Bible? Meditating on Scripture is an essential part of your growth as a Christian, so do you know the Bible? Do you even know how to navigate it? Do you know how to find your way around in it? Second Peter is a little hard to find, it can be, if you may have been flipping with me, but How do we know our way around the Bible? Well, what we've been doing for the last couple of months is we've been teaching our kids the books of the Bible. And so all of you kids who've been working on your books of the Bible, come forward. And uh, if you want to grow as a Christian, come to Sunday school. Because this is the kind of stuff we're not just teaching kids. We're teaching uh, grown-ups as well. And so they've learned their books of the Old Testament. All right, line up, guys. Controlled chaos is the goal, I think. All right. We ready? Okay. Take us away, kids. Let's hear them.
stay, just stay here right for a second, kids. So I want to invite you to come to Sunday school. Do you want to grow in your ability to navigate the scriptures, to know the scriptures, and to live out the scriptures? Do you want your kids to do the same? And there's really two ways you can do that. You can come and just be a part. You can be a student. And you may think, oh, I've memorized all my books of the Bible. I know the Bible through and through. I really don't need any help. Then we need you. So come and, and teach these kids. They haven't learned their books of the New Testament yet. So there's something you can share with them. But we would wish for all of our congregation to come and join us because that's a time when we can learn and we can grow from youngest to oldest uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So great job, kids. Well done. And uh, little ones, uh, is it fir- first grade uh, on down to six months? Y'all can follow Miss Brittany to children's worship and nursery. And the rest of you can go back to your, to your seats. It is my uh, sincere honor to welcome the founding pastor of our church today. On the 22nd anniversary of our church, uh, I was... I know I was sick last Sunday, but all week me and some of our staff and elders were in New Orleans. There was an apologetics conference at New Orleans Seminary. It was excellent. And it all worked out well to have Shane come and preach for our uh, 22nd anniversary. But brother, come and uh, bring us the word. That was impressive with the children, was it not? 22 years, I guess 22 years ago, I preached the first sermon to Faith Presbyterian Church from a tabletop at the bingo hall. And, and I've got to tell you, we were heartbroken over losing a beautiful, beautiful building, although we were optimistic about what God would do in the future. But as we stepped in the bingo hall, it became obvious for several months, I think a lot of us had never felt any closer to God, closer to each other or had more wonderful worship, because it's, it's not the location. It's the heart, is it not? It's, it's so happy to be here today. A lot have changed in 22 years. Uh, I now require the old person-sized bulletin. I appreciate you making those. Uh, I, I can probably wear the same sport coat, but I can't button it anymore. But God has been good. God's been good to us. And God's been good to Faith Presbyterian through the years. You know, we're going to talk today from First Second Peter chapter one. You can stay at that location throughout the sermon. And John seventeen, John seventeen is one of the most meaningful scriptures to me because I believe it reflects Jesus Christ's highest priorities. Every word he ever spoke is obviously important. But in his prayer the night before his death, we see the things that are heaviest on his heart. And I've used this example before. In fact, I've prayed, I know, on John 17, both at Washington Press and at Faith Press through the years, although I suspect you have forgotten that sermon. But if you're dying tomorrow, tonight I'm going to pray for Ronnie and Vicki and Shane, you know, and, and I'm going to pray for all the things we think of each day. But if I'm going to be dead tomorrow, there's nothing is going to be on my mind and my heart except for my very highest priorities. And we see Jesus praying to glorify God for the unity of his believers and for you and for me, all that would follow because of their word. 
Today we look at Second Peter written under similar circumstances. Peter knows his death is imminent, and as such, I think this letter reflects his deep concerns and his highest priorities. My original title was going to be Peter's Last Will and Testament. But Peter is written under similar circumstances. He knows his death is very near, and, and as such, I believe that this letter is really, really reflecting his heart and his priorities. Uh, I can tell you this, if, if I knew my death was at the door and I could gather all the folks that God's given me the privilege to minister to the years, the Campus Life kids, the youth group kids, the original Faith Presbyterian kids, my, my final sermon would be a combination of John 17 and 2 Peter 1. So I'll begin today by saying that in the first 11 verses of this letter, Peter sums up God's entire plan of salvation. He begins with God's divine power granting us everything necessary for life and godliness, and he ends with each of us having our entrance abundantly supplied into the eternal kingdom. God made these plans for us before the beginning, and yet he'll bring them to the end after the end. It sums up everything God has done and will do from the very beginning to the very end, But in between those two events, knowing what God has done for us, Peter explains what God expects his people to do for him and for themselves. Sounds kind of like, where did I come from? Where am I going? What am I here for? The great questions of all time. As it turns out, his greatest concerns are for the flock that Jesus has entrusted him with. John 21, 15 through 17 says, When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. Then Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved at this point. He said to him, you know everything, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I'm convinced that those three times, those three questions bounced off the fact that there had been three denials. But this letter, not only to the Christians of the first century, but it's for every believer that's ever lived. It's for you and it's for me, as we can see, starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith equal standing with ours. Oh, he's writing primarily to believers, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. He's writing to us, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord. He is writing to us and is desperately trying to impress on us what he knows is of great importance to us. Listen as I read uh, for the words remind and recall. And I'm jumping down to verse 12, but therefore... I always intend to remind you of these qualities, though you know them already, and you're established in the truth. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder that you might know that I know that putting off my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made this clear to me. 
and I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you might be able to recall these things. You already know the things you're going to hear today. Most of you know what's coming from this sermon. But Peter thought it was important enough to say, I know you know it, but I want to remind you, I want to remind you, I want to make sure that these things can always come to remembrance. Let's begin now in verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Before he puts out the challenge to the congregations, the Christian living and growth, he assures them that everything God asks of us, he has, by his power, given us what we need to succeed in this life in a godly manner. He said, I have given you the power to do all things pertaining to life and godliness. Well, how can we appropriate that which he's granted to us? Well, we do it through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises. Now, what precious and great promises? Well, that could take us till game time. Game's not till 3.30 today. I'm going to give you an intermission about 1.30. All right. I would never do that. But here we are. He's granted us these promises. What are they? Well, how about eternal life? How about forgiveness of sin? Access to power through the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing that we will be like him one day, co-heirs with him, a new heaven, a new earth, a new body. We could go on and on and on with the promises. So that through them, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Are you sick of the corruption in the world? I mean, you you just got to be. I can barely stand 10 at night to 1030. The news is so depressing night after night after night. The headlines in the papers. We don't have to go into specifics. But the world has become very, very sick. I know I'm sick of it. Wouldn't you rather rise above being of this world, enjoy being partakers of the divine nature? I know you would. Peter is highly desirous to see his people move that direction. And the next three verses give them keys in the process to reach in for the prize, so to speak. This is sometimes called the stairway to maturity or the path to or the building blocks of the faith. It goes by many names. But this little, I call it the stairway to maturity. And I want you to note as we go over these character traits that they're not spiritual gifts. They're not unique talents that are different for different individual believers. These are character traits that can be and should be developed by all Christians. The first is faith. The recipients are assumed to have faith, as we've seen, those who obtained, have obtained a faith equal standing to ours. But faith is the foundation, and that's the starting point. It's the first stair. It's got to be the first stair. For by grace you have been saved. Without faith, we don't have a Christian listening to start with. Faith is the foundation. It's the beginning Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So since the motive for these 
traits is to honor, obey, and please God, it makes sense that faith is the beginning of the journey. You need to be a Christian, and you need to have faith to please God. As we begin climbing the stairway, let us fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He'll be the perfecter, as in Philippians 1.6 tells us, I'm sure of this. And this is such, such a verse of comfort to me. Because I am sick of the corruption in the world, but I get sick of looking at this corrupt man in the mirror at times, too. And what a blessing that one day the good work that Jesus began in me, he will complete. And I will no longer even have a sin nature. I'll actually like who I am 100% all the time. And to your faith, add virtue. You know, when I first got saved, I knew almost nothing. I came from an atheist home. I'd never been going to church. I had a wonderful witness to me for about three years prior to my conversion. That's Vicki, my wife, 50 years this June. So she has been wonderful. Not only was she a girlfriend, but she was a missionary. And that made me lose my place. But I knew almost nothing. In fact, I was working as a night security guard. And so and, and for, I had looked at the Bible before. Thee, thou, thus. It, it just made no sense. It was senseless. All right? It seemed like stupid stuff to me. But now you know what happens. Once you get saved, you've got the Holy Spirit, and you're illuminated. You're able to begin understanding what you read, what you're seeing, what you're hearing. So I read Matthew, and it's an all-night gig. You know, it's like from 11 p.m. till dawn. So I read Matthew. Okay, man, I go in and start reading Mark. Read Mark. That's good. You know, going to go to Luke. Go to Luke. I said, what is, you know, I called Vicky. said, you know, this is the same story over and over again. <laughs> you know? So I knew almost nothing. But instinctively, I knew that God would want the trash out of my life and he would want to replace it with good things. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And David in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That would explain why the next step is knowledge. My people are destroyed by lack of knowledge. What would these changes entail? Jesus himself, the author and perfecter of our faith, would teach us by his word and through his spirit. Proverbs fifteen fourteen tells us that the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but out of the mouth of fools feed on folly. Another proverb, take my instruction, said a silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. In other words, don't look to the wisdom of the world, but trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So in climbing the stairway to maturity, we're going to trust God's word. We're going to trust it by faith with all our hearts. And we're going to lean on his word alone as the basis of knowledge. So God's word will direct the changes he wants in our life. But can we change? We had a wonderful, wonderful member in, in this church. 
And he was wonderful, just kind of rough around the edges. And he, he would struggle with the struggles. And finally he would say, well, that's just the way God made me. No, that's not the way God made you. That's the way the fall corrupted us. All right? We have no excuse not to pursue the character traits that God has told us to pursue. So to your knowledge, or to your virtue, add self-control. Yes, we can. We can change our ways. The Bible says if God says we can, we can. There's a fine line between self-control and being under the control of the Holy Spirit. Uh, here's my take on that. I find many, many mass messages uh, are passages on being led by the Holy Spirit. And there's no doubt that he will lead us. And I mean, he will always lead us, always lead us in accordance to the word of God, never contrary to it. Nobody who thinks God's leading them anywhere that's contrary to what we have in the written word, those people are deceived. If we choose to follow the path, though, he leads us on, he will also empower us to succeed. During this brief speck of eternity, which is our life, it appears to me that the victorious Christian life is a team effort in which we follow, trust, and obey the good shepherd. The fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. Character traits of elders and deacons include self-control. And here's one more proverb to chew on. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and without walls. So God's telling us which way to go, but there's a team effort involved in growing in our faith. God knows as well as Peter that life's going to be full of trials, full of tribulations and temptations. And that's going to mean that self-control will often be difficult. So to our self-control, we are also to add steadfastness or perseverance. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. God's called us to a task. We're in a world that we're whining about, a corrupt world. We're called to be ambassadors to the world. We're called to be missionaries to the world. We're called to be a royal priesthood. You know, sometimes I hear us really, really putting down the evil folks, the evil things that are going on in the world, and understandable, but those people are not our enemy. Those people are victims of our enemy. And we need to develop a heart to love and to care for them. Almost all of us made resolutions during our lifetime, especially around New Year's. And unfortunately, statistics bear that most of those are short-lived. Our intentions are good, but often our self-control, not so much. God encourages us to stay strong, not to be surprised when difficulties come, to keep the faith and promises that our efforts will not be in vain. Now, prosperity people would not hire me to be their pastor. I see a lot more pick up your cross and follow me than I see check your mailbox for a bigger paycheck. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And that the steadfastness have its full effect, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
James 1.12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Paul tells us the same thing in Romans 5. Only that, that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance or steadfastness, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and character traits are exactly what we're trying to develop or talking about developing here today. You know, I was going to preach once on, on run a good race. I knew in my earlier part of my life, it, it's a real sprint. Once you get on fire for the Lord, I mean, I was flying. You know, we we're going to add junior high to the ministry. We we're going to add high schools to the ministry. We we're going to go to the North Shore, the South Shore. We, in fact, I, got, I had so many plans, I was ready to give God a vacation. You know, and, and, and I, I say that now somewhat humorously, but it's a horrible, horrible thing when you get effective in ministry and, and you start thinking that you're something that you're not. God's looking for great men of God, but I have never met one that wasn't also humble. But anyhow, I run the good race, so I finally developed, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And that's easy, because I could run fast for about two decades, and then I started slowing down. Now I'm 68, I don't want to retire. I'm, I, I hope to be able to do what God's called me to do, until I'm either physically or mentally unable to do it. it. It's not a vocation. It's a calling. Right? So in a way, then, it was kind of like a marathon. But, you know, over the, the 40-some years of my Christianity, I've come to the conclusion it's more like the 400-meter high hurdles. That is a tough race. You are very tired by the end. And you're still having to jump, having to jump. And eventually, you are going to be tripped up. You're going to fall. And that's in the Christian life. It would be a rare man indeed who finds Christ and starts the race and never stumbles and falls. The enemy puts those hurdles up there. But we need to get up. We need to keep running. We need to finish the course. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Then to our steadfastness, Scripture says to add godliness. Genesis 1.27, here's the very beginning. It says that we were created in the image of God. Got the right one up there? Am I going forwards or backwards? All right, we're staying right there. But we were created his image, and, and that is godliness. There in the garden, prior to the fall, prior to sin, we were in the image of God as he created us to be. 1 John 3, 2 says that when Christ appears, we will be like him when he completes that good work in us. Boy, that'll be godliness too. But in between, we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of Lord are being transformed into the same image one degree to another. This transformation is sanctification during this little blip of eternity, which is our life, is a process. It's a process. 
When I got saved, I knew God would want me to stop doing bad things and start doing good things. I had no real knowledge of Scripture, but I pretty much knew. I I got a feeling he wants me to quit cussing and he wants me to quit fighting. You know, simple things. I thought, if I ever quit doing those things, God will just do somersaults in heaven. And then as you get a little more mature, you realize, oh, I'm not even supposed to be thinking about the girl that way. I might not be punching the guy out, but on the inside, I'm thinking, you're lucky I'm a Christian. I'd be ripping your lungs out. You know? And then I'd come to realize God's not just concerned with my actions, but he wants to transform me from the inside out. And he's able to do it. During this lifetime, we're in a process, a growth process. And I think this is what Peter's reminding. You already know these things, but let me tell you, you know, Add knowledge. Keep growing in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep striving for virtue. Be a better person. Be a stronger person. Be a kinder person. He wants his people to to not just stay stagnant where they're at, but he wants them to always be moving toward the goal. The steadfastness, add brotherly kindness. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in, just in Christ, God forgave you. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You know, there's been three churches in my lifetime that have been moving from decades of being stagnant into being vibrant and growing and going. And all three dissolved, all three dissolved from infighting when God has clearly, from from good people, thinking we're standing on God's word, this is the way we see it. Other godly guys saying, "Uh uh-uh, we're standing on God's word, this is the way we see it. To the point that they actually destroyed their own congregations. And I bring that up to say, in, in every situation, There's a godly way to deal with things, and there's a worldly way to deal with things. And we need to be careful in our own lives that we love one another with brotherly affection, and we outdo one another in showing honor. Most verses I find on kindness have to do with the loving kindness of the Lord and on the compassion Jesus felt for those he came into contact with, and especially with those people who seemed unlovable. If godliness means reflecting the image of Christ, and this is the way Christ dealt with people, it's obvious that this trait's one we all need to work on, especially as we interact with one another, with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The final step, then, would be no surprise. Your brotherly kindness add love. Faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Just as in the stairway, faith is first, because without it, we could never be able to love as God loves. We have to become a Christian first. Faith is first. We need to love as God loves, undefiled, pure, unselfish, agape love. The greatest of all Christian traits is love. God's love, every breath he took while he was incarnate, just exuded his love for us. And now we get the opportunity to be his ambassadors, called to love as he did, the same people he came for, 
As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Our job is to carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ. That sounds staggering, but, but what a privilege. God came, he sent Jesus to reconcile us to the Father, and now he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's made us ambassadors to call a sick and dark world to a loving and light God. All the commandments are based on this. The two great commandments, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, those are both based on love. Take a look at the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments all have to do either with honoring, loving God, or proper behavior, loving your fellow man. Scripture tells us, if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You know, just back to the very beginning, here's Peter knowing he's dying. And he wants his folks to grow, to grow, to grow. I would just challenge you today as I challenge myself. We look at these traits, and then we look in the mirror. How are you doing? If you're doing well, praise the Lord. If you need improvement, don't despair. Has not God said that he asked you to do this to also give you the power to do it? Don't despair. Get up. You've tripped over a hurdle. Now get up. And start running again through Bible study, through prayer, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a team effort. Let us consider how we might spur one another on toward love and good deeds. You know, I love having this handful of guys I go to prison with, but we've become tight, and we are just on top of each other constantly to walk the walk checking on each other. I mean, spurring each other on to good deeds. Let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. A lot of us think the day may be approaching. So let's encourage each other to be all God meant us to be, all God made us to be. Let us encourage each other to run the race well, to climb those stairs individually and corporately, that we might become partakers of the divine nature through him who called us and appointed us so that we might glorify him here on earth until the day he calls you home or comes again. My hope for myself and for all of you is that when that day comes, you'll hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. This was written primarily to believers, to those who have obtained the same inheritance. But if there might be anybody here today who's thinking, what is he talking about? Anybody here who's not positive beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you would stand before God and he would say, should I let you into my heaven? If you were not convinced that he would say, come in. Let me just tell you, 
Growing might be a battle. It might take perseverance. It might take strength. It might take endurance. It might take steadfastness. But getting to know God, the work has been done for you. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's not to slam anybody. That's talking about Billy Graham. That's talking about the Pope. That's talking about Jason. That's talking about you. No exceptions. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God for eternity. But the good news is this. The free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. What was the wages of sin, the penalty of sin? It was death. Jesus went to the cross. He died in place of you, me, or any other person who would put their faith in him. Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You're not saved by work doing all these works to become a better Christian. No, no, no. You become a Christian simply by saying, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus can't lie. You said you died for me. Right now I trust you as my Savior. I'd just like to encourage, if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, ask him right now. Not magic words, it's not the prayer. Just say, Lord, sinner, I need you. I'd also like to ask you to see see Jason to talk about that decision with him so that he might clarify any questions that you might have. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for 22 years of Faith Presbyterian Church and the the things that you've done here, the blessings you've poured out upon them, to see so many new faces out here and to know that they're striving to be a witness to you, both in Covington and the world. I'm so grateful for what you've done here through the years. I, I pray today for each of us, Lord, as we take a look at these character traits those of us who, whose faith is, is wavering, Lord, strengthen our faith, Lord. I know you would never quench an ember, but you would blow it until it flames. I, I pray for us in the strength of our faith that uh, you would help each of us to desire to be people who are living with virtue, with self-control, with steadfastness. Lord, that we desire to be truly godly people and, and godly representatives to this lost world. Help us to treat each other properly with brotherly affection. Let us show love not only to one another, but also to those who are unlovely and difficult to care for. Lord, I just pray that um, we might take seriously the fact that as the Father sent you, you're sending us, Lord. Make us as individuals, make us as a church, people who are glorifying you in Christ's name. Amen.